You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 716 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's Monday evening. It's Tuesday morning, and the Hawks went on the road this evening to Orlando, and were competitive, to be frank. Uh, they were they played pretty well, I think, on the whole. They, they were at least in a position to win the game. They were not able to do so, though, losing by the final score of 135 to 126 in what was obviously not a defensive battle against the Magic. We will have plenty on that game momentarily. Before, before we get to that, there was a bigger uh, story, I guess, at least nationally, and then it became a local story in earnest uh, in the, uh, I would say, the second half of Monday. So basically, setting the backdrop a little bit here, USA Basketball announced a 44-player pool for the 2020 Olympics for USA Basketball. Obviously, the final team is going to have 12 players on it, so 44 is a lot bigger than 12. And as a result of that, this is where the controversy comes in um, to play because Obviously, that kind of pool casts a pretty wide net. You'll have some injury stuff. You'll have guys who don't want to play, et cetera, et cetera. But 44 guys is a lot, particularly when you remember that this is only Americans. So you're taking away a lot of the best players in the the world who are not on the American team. So with that said, it was a bit of a surprise. I would say more than a bit of a surprise that Trey Young and John Collins were both not included. In fact, the Hawks had no one on the 44-player list. I think Collins... Didn't get the, the kind of attention that Young did for obvious reasons because he, ha- he hasn't been quite as good as Young this season. But Young obviously was one of the headline omissions. Just for the, a, a little bit of backdrop here, Young and Collins were both on the select team last summer. They were brought in to scrimmage against the big club. I even argued then that they could have been on the fringes of the big club last year. Obviously, that, that club was not as good as the normal USA team would be, but those guys were already competitive and already around the uh, program a year ago, and then, of course, Trey Young's made a massive leap since then, for example. I I would say that it kind of defies logic that neither guy would be included here, particularly given the fact that this is the top 44 of American players only. I'm going to read some names to you now. This is probably unfair, but I'm going to read some names that will certainly raise some eyebrows of guys who were on the 44-player list that are not John Collins and Trey Young. Harrison Barnes. Malcolm Brogdon, DeMar DeRozan, Montrez Harrell, Tobias Harris, Kyle Kuzma is my is my personal favorite, I think. Uh, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, which doesn't make any sense. Mason Plumley, Derek White, the list goes on and on. I will say, a couple of these guys, there are some explanations. Even if you don't love the explanations, they are they do exist. For instance, Mason Plumley is the one that everyone points to always, but he's been playing with USA Basketball for a decade now, going back to even like before he was at Duke. Um, so it's not a surprise that he would be there, for instance. I, I'm not telling you that, that it's right, but it's certainly not surprising. Derek White, same thing. He was on the team last year, like on the final 12-man team, and I think no one would argue that he's better than Trey Young, but Pop coaches the team, et cetera, et cetera. All that to say... Um, I don't know why JaVale McGee is there. That, that one's kind of funny <laughs> in a lot of respects. Um, there are other snubs. It wasn't just the Hawks here. You know, obviously Hawks fans, I think, rightly were bothered by this. Um, no John Morant was a mild surprise. No Zion Williamson was a big surprise for me. Normally, USA Basketball likes to go with at least one super young guy. Like Anthony Davis was on the team in 2012 for the Olympics, but before he actually played in the NBA, for instance. And Zion is a massively popular figure, so I would have... Expected him to be there. I'm not sure if he was asked and said no, but I don't think he's going to be there. Um, and then De'Aaron Fox and others are, were not included on the list. I will say, though, 
There's also a Nike Adidas angle. People brought up to me uh, both online and offline. Trey Young is and John Collins, by the way, are Adidas guys, and uh, Nike's famously kind of running the show with USA Basketball. Obviously, there are some Adidas athletes involved here, but it's the guys at the absolute top, like Dame Lillard, um, who are in the mix there. James Harden, uh, who, who, who you, you kind of can't leave off. What <laughs> you get to uh, the next tier down, and I'm sure that was at least maybe part of the consideration. Um, I, I do want to say. Young rightfully got all the attention, and it feels like he's it's absolutely insane that he wouldn't be there, frankly. I just don't see a, a way you can get to 44 guys and not have Trey Young on the list. I think I think Collins almost has an easier path, though. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, at point guard, there are a lot of good players. You know, Derek White is the obvious one that Trey Young is much better than them at point guard. Um, but Collins, compared to several guys like Kuzma and Dwight and JaVale McGee and Montrez Harrell, etc., is just notably better than those guys. So even then... Um, both guys should have been included, frankly, with the way that this list breaks down. Uh, there were some excuses about youth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we'll, we'll leave it. We'll leave, we'll leave it there for now. I think I would understand that more for Zion and Jaw because they were still rookies. Particularly Zion has only played a handful of games, but Trey Young's been an established player now for a year and a half, so doesn't really hold water in the same way. Um, just in the end, for me, I think it wouldn't be tough to argue for a 12-man final team without Trey Young on it. I think I was not. I was not expecting coming in. Trey Young to make Team USA like the big club, the 12-man 2020 Olympic team. I was not expecting that because you know all the fit stuff that you might have on the Olympic stage, all that, all that. You know, it just kind of doesn't matter. But I was not expecting that. But for 44 players to be selected and having those guys not be Trey Young, especially, and then even John Collins, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But then from there, it was already some annoyance from Hawks fans, which, which again I, I think is genuine. I tweeted this out. I'm not a homer by any means, but I think it was. Uh, pretty jarring to me to not see Trey on that list. Um, I'll leave it there. The last thing sort of falling out of that, though, was that uh, Sarah Spencer of the AJC was in Orlando and actually asked both Trey Young and Lloyd Pierce about this. Pierce, by the way, is on the on the staff for, two, for Team USA. You probably remember this from last time. Lloyd went on the World Championships um, team last summer, was, has been asked about that ad nauseum over the last year, working for Greg Popovich, etc. So he's on the staff again. Um, Trey did seem disappointed for not being selected in his interview with uh, with Sarah Spencer. No, no, no surprise there, and but he did give a uh, high road tweet and congrat- congratulated the guys who were going to be there and said he was going to be rooting for them. Um, Pierce then gave an answer that Hawks fans did not enjoy, and I understand why. Frankly, I'm not going to read it all to you because it was long, and you can find it on the uh, AJC from Sarah Spencer or on, or, or on her Twitter feed. But it was not exactly a spirited defense of Young. I think you know Pierce talked about the process and guys kind of needing to earn it, et cetera, et cetera. Talked about longevity, et cetera. Um, I didn't love that answer. I, I thought it could have been better for sure from Lloyd Pierce. I do want to say once at least. That Pierce is in a tough spot here. As someone who's on the staff for Team USA, he can't really crap on Team USA. Um, at the same time, he could have addressed it better in his first comments to Sarah. Um, and I think he did a he did a smart thing after the game. And this video is publicly available on the Hawks um, Fox Sports Southeast Twitter feed, which you want to if you want to go back if you want to go out and find that from Monday night after the game. But uh, after the game happened, Pierce sort of moved an answer about the game into a discussion about this and gave a better answer about Trey Young and uh, d- d- came to his guy's defense a little bit more often, um, was more vocal in supporting in supporting Trey and talking about how Trey is an all-star and a, and a rising star and all, all, the, all the stuff in the league. So that was a better answer from Lloyd, so that was a smart thing for him to do. I wasn't as mad as other people were, but I also understood that, you know, I'll say this, it was not Lloyd's best moment when it comes to just not 
being more supportive of your guy in that public forum, even if I sort of understand it because of the fact that he's on the staff and you, you don't want to come out and kill Team USA, which you which is currently sort of quote unquote employing you. So I see all the sides here. I think Trey should have been there. That's just the number one top line thought for me is that Trey Young not being there is absolutely nuts to me. Um, and even then, I, I think Colin should be there. <laughs> as funny as that is, like he's going to get, again, a lot less attention, and I think rightly so. But um, if you're breaking down guys who probably need to even be there, um, John Collins should be on the list as well. So nothing huge, great takeaways there, and I think ultimately neither guy was going to make the 12-man team, but there you go on that. Um, one more news item to get to before we get to the actual game itself, and that this is one is a little bit more positive. I will say there, there were only four nominees for this week's Eastern Conference Player of the Week, and two of them were Young and Collins. So that's pretty impressive. Neither of those guys won, um, in part because Jason Tatum got the nod. Tatum had a great week, including a win uh, over the Hawks. In fact, I believe two wins, two wins over the Hawks in that in that time frame. Um, Tatum had great numbers, thirty and eight, um, shot the ball great, all that stuff. But Boston was four and zero. And if you follow this stuff, and I'm not sure why I do, but other than the fact that I work for Dime and have to do national stuff every once in a while, um, the NBA really, really leans towards teams that either go undefeated or like 3-1 and one in this kind of thing. So it was not a big surprise that Tatum was the winner. But Collins and, and Young were um, nominated in this space, and I think they both deserve to be. Collins averaged 28-12 and 12 and shot the ball incredibly well over a four-game period last week. Trey only played three of the four games, but averaged 40 and 10. Yes, 40 and 10, and shot 43% from three-point range in that time. I think if he had played all four, he, he actually might have had the numbers to pass Tatum, even, even at 2-2 two and two overall. But uh, there you go on that. Some recognition, even if, even if mildly, those guys were at least mentioned alongside in the NBA release, etc. And uh, there you go. Okay, after a quick break, we will come right back, talk all about the game. It's a pretty interesting one, so hold on tight. We'll be right back with more on the Hawks. All right, and we're back to talk about the game itself. And again, a 135-126 to loss at the hands of the Magic on the road. This is a back-to-back for the Hawks, so not a huge surprise that they lost this game. Because coming in, you know, the Hawks were 1-8 on the second night of back-to-back this year. They played the double overtime madness on Sunday. By the way, I, re- I recapped that uh, that game on yesterday's podcast. So go back and listen to that one if you, if you please and if you want to do so. Um, but even, you know, they should have won that game regulation pretty comfortably. Um, but regardless, they had to play a lot of guys, huge minutes in that spot, and uh, already in a tough spot schedule-wise because Orlando, Orlando did not play at all on Sunday and actually played at home on Saturday. So lots of advantages for the Magic, um, even without a couple of starters um, in DJ Augustine and Jonathan Isaac for Orlando. Uh, injury-wise, though, the Hawks had a little bit more of a, of a deeper roster in this game because Cam Reddish came back. Uh, Denry Hunter was questionable, again, with the ankle, but ended up playing. Reddish came back after missing four games with a concussion. He was on a 25-minute restriction and actually played all the way up to it, so that was a good sign, I think, for Cam. Um, Hawks still without Bembry, uh, in, in addition to Capella and Scal, but um, a little bit deeper roster, and that was uh, nice to see for the Hawks in this game. It actually came in pretty much handy, I would say. Um the spread opened up at about six and went immediately up to eight and a half or nine in this game at different times. And the Hawks actually did, did not cover. They lost by nine. I think the, I think the line closed to eight, eight and a half, somewhere around there. So if you had the Hawks, it's kind of brutal because the Hawks should have covered at, at, a, at a bare minimum in this spot. But regardless, we'll dive into the blow-by-blow uh, blow account of this contest. A pretty slow start for the Hawks' offense. In fact, the first quarter was kind of a slow start for both time, for both teams at times. The Hawks missed their first four threes. They had four turnovers in the first six minutes. Um, they came out of a couple timeouts with some weirdness in the early going. They got down 16-9, and offensively there was not a lot going well 
Um, but when Jeff T came into the game, the bench came into the game and sort of getting uh, got it going a little bit there. There's a nice, a nice pass from Teague immediately, and then a vintage hesitation move for a layup by Teague in the first quarter. He had six and four in the first in limited time, and a 12 to two run by the Hawks to take um, control of the game at 24 to 20 after being down seven. They led by six at the end of the first quarter. The bench was the story for a lot of the night, but especially in the first quarter. And Orlando's offense struggled mightily um, in that first 12 minute period uh, on the way to the Hawks leading by six points. From there, though, Orlando's offense was lights out for the last three quarters of this game. We'll, we'll talk about that more later, but uh, just as a preview, it was uh, tough to get stops for the Hawks the rest of the way. Um, Orlando only scored four points in the last six minutes or so of the, of the first quarter, but they got going in a big way early on in the second with a 12-4 run to open the quarter. Actually, it was a 19-8 extended run to go up by five in the first period. The Hawks did, um, put, I, I would say, put it together later on in the, in the period with a 7-0 run to go up by seven and coasted to a five-point edge at the halftime break. After a slow start on their own, the Hawks shot the ball very well in the first half. 54% from the floor, 42% from three. All, Trey Young got 10 free throw attempts, sorry, 11 free throw attempts, and actually made 10 of them in the first half of the uh, contest. 12 points for Trey. The bench was incredible. In fact, Dwayne Dedman was plus 19 in the first half. Uh, defensively, it was just okay for the most part, but nice to have Cam Reddish in there being active and kind of making a couple of plays. And that springs into the third quarter where Cam was fantastic. He actually had 11 points in the third quarter, including a couple of nice defensive moments. Orlando did rattle off a 10-0 run to go up seven in the third quarter. Um, Vucevic got loose with three threes in a short period of time, but then uh, Cam got right back into it with a with a uh, back-to-back bucket stretch, including the second one being a nice steal at half court and a three-point play in transition. A 17-3 overall run there by the Hawks to, to, to take a seven-point lead after being down by seven. Um, Orlando did get back within three at the end of the third quarter, but in general it was a, it was a positive quarter for the Hawks despite the uh, downturn early on in the period. The fourth quarter, they just couldn't get stops, frankly. And really, the second half, again, the last three quarters, really, but especially in the fourth quarter, they allowed 42 points, and uh, that is not a great recipe when you're, when you're trying to protect a lead. The Hawks did lead by as many six points early on in the fourth, but Orlando got back into the game and they took the lead again at nine, with a, with a 11-0 run, actually, to go up by five points. Um, Teague actually came up limping on his ankle and never came back in the game. I'm not sure if there was an update there or not, but it uh, didn't look terrible, but might have just been a rollover thing. Uh, finally, the drop broke with, De- with Dwayne Dedman scoring a three-point play, but not a whole lot of positives from that point forward. There was one fantastic possession offensively with great ball movement, and it ended with Cam Reddish throwing a whip pass with, with his left hand to the corner for Trey Young, who was open for a corner three that he buried. That was a great one. You'll want to frame that possession um, for the Hawks look, looking forward with some spacing and nice ball movement and passing. I really enjoyed that one. Um but from there, it was all magic for the most part. It was an 11-0 run that began with four. Uh, actually, the Hawks hit a three. Trey Young hit a three with about five and a half to go to get back within one. But then, in order here, Orlando hits a uh, jump shot with Fournier. The Hawks go on an em- empty possession. Terrence Ross is, hits a three. Reddish turns it over, and then Fournier hits another three. So within four possessions, basically, the Hawks go from down one to down nine. And then they call a timeout at that point in time. They come out of the timeout, get a good look, at least a decent look from Deadman, who misses it. And then the Magic finally um, miss a shot, but they actually, they actually get their own offensive rebound and score again. And suddenly the game uh, the game is out of the hands of the Hawks when they're down by 12. It was an 11-0 run overall. The Hawks did get back within striking distance. It actually made things a little bit interesting. They just couldn't get over the hump. They got it down to seven a couple different times, um, but just kind of... It kind of hung in that range, I will say. There was actually a pretty big mistake by Nick Vucevic in the final minute to tap the ball out on a rebound. He was trying to save possession. He hit it too far, and then Collins was kind of cherry-picking, grabbed the ball and dunked it, and that got the lead down to five. 
within the final minute, but um, the Magic did execute pretty well after that, made their free throws, and then an empty trip out of that timeout, and that was basically the end of the game. So, you know, in the end, the Hawks losing by nine didn't feel necessarily indicative. The Hawks were leading for a large portion of this game, and I think it was probably more competitive than nine makes it seem. But uh, defensively, it was just kind of a kind of a mess. In fact, in the last three quarters, Orlando shot 57% from the floor and 18 of 33 from three. Now, part of that is Orlando making shots that they don't always make. You know, Terrence Ross went a little bit nuts, and Lloyd Pierce actually said he was pretty happy with the energy level and the competitiveness from the Hawks. They just kind of they had some breakdowns for sure in the second half, and Orlando took advantage of them in a way that they would not always do, frankly, because Orlando's a pretty bad offensive team. But in this game, you, you, you would not have guessed that necessarily because they actually had it going in a big way here. But for, for the entire game, the Hawks allowed a 135 offensive rating for the Magic. That is... Really bad when considering how bad Orlando's offense actually is. Um, you could argue, I guess, that Orlando, the, the talent that Orlando was missing, uh, headlined by Isaac, helps them more defensively than offensively. But you're replacing him with like Wesley Wundu, who isn't going to really help you that much. Um, you know, Evan Fournier had a, had a good game. Terrence Ross got going. Lucevic, Aaron Gordon, everybody had good games there for Orlando. And the Hawks just couldn't get stops, frankly. I mean, the first quarter was pretty solid, but then after that, the floodgates open, and the offensive rating from the sec- from second quarter on was like in the mid-140s. In, in mid That's bad, obviously. Um, offensively, if you want to be positive, and I think there's room for that in this game, the Hawks' offense was actually quite good for the balance of the game. A 126 offensive rating, that is more than enough to win against the Magic normally, but uh, not, not in this game, obviously, but the offense was good. Um, a 66% true shooting for Atlanta overall, that is fantastic. Only 12 turnovers. They had 33 assists. The ball was moving throughout the game. They shot the ball well from two, from three, from the free throw line. Everything offensively was good for the Hawks in this game. The only difference, you know, honestly, the shooting for the two teams was pretty was pretty similar. The assists were identical. The turnovers were pretty much identical. The one big swing, honestly, if you break it all down and say both teams were awesome offensively, was that Orlando got 10 more offensive rebounds than the Hawks did. Atlanta only got 4-14 for Orlando, a 34% offensive rebound rate, which is not like ridiculously over the top, but you know that those 10 possessions, if you want to call it that, um, can change the game. Um, you know, Orlando attempted seven more field goal attempts than the Hawks and five more free throw attempts than the Hawks. That is enough to change the game, and there you go on that. Okay, we'll look ahead a little bit here to the uh, individual stuff in this game before we get out of here on this fine Monday. Um, individually, the bench was actually awesome in this game. I will note that two guys who had been who I, who I I would say you project to play potentially in this game that did not play were Travion Graham, who got a DNP with reddish back, which wasn't a huge surprise, but still worth noting. And then Bruno Fernando did not play in this game. Now, part of that could have been that Bruno was on a back-to-back here. He had been coming off of the calf injury, didn't play a whole lot on Sunday, but he was not on the injury report, so I'm assuming he was fully healthy or at least close to it. Um, if, if I'm not really sure what the deal is there. We'll see what happens on Wednesday and beyond. But Bruno, the Hawks could have been careful there, but you know, ideally you would play him more than Damian Jones, I think, at this point in time. So that was the one that was sort of an eyebrow raiser rotationally. But the other five guys on the bench that actually did play were all positive in the plus-minus game. Um, Brandon Goodwin didn't play a whole lot, six minutes in this game, seven points and one assist for Brandon. Uh, sorry, one rebound for Brandon, three or five from the floor, one of three from three. I was okay with him not playing as much. You know, part of that is that Reddish is back, so you go with you go with more wings, more natural wings than the two-point card lineups. And also Jeff Teague was quite good in this game, so that kind of mitigates a little bit of Goodwin's usage. But he was the he was the tenth guy, and he did play a little bit in the spot. 
Vince Carter, 15 minutes, made all three of his threes. That was the big contribution for Vince. He was plus, plus 15 in those minutes. So uh, shouts to Vince for adding an, uh, adding some real stuff in his final trip to Orlando as a player. Um, Reddish, good to see him come back. As I mentioned before, defensively, he was quite good throughout this game. Had a steal um, and two rebounds and an assist. Had 11 points all in the third quarter. But still, a pretty good performance there from Cam, bouncing back from his four-game absence. And we obviously want to see more of Reddish. But he played well in this game, and uh, hopefully he'll, help. he'll be able to he's, I, I would, I would say be able to be full go again because he, he was restricted in terms of minutes in this game to 25. That's pretty high, but I think he might be playing more than that um, looking ahead to the future. And then Teague and, and Deadman, the two vets, uh, Teague, 8 points, 11 assists, and 16 minutes. That is jarring for anyone, honestly. Uh, in fact, between Young, Herter, and Teague, those guys had 27 assists between the, between the three of them. That is pretty impressive, uh, and it, obviously Teague's assist per minute ratio is kind of off the charts, but eight points and a couple nice um, drives to the rim, had a steal, had a block. I thought it was probably Jeff's best game so far. I mentioned before that, that he seemed to hobble off with the ankle. I'm not sure that was a real injury if he just kind of tweaked it. Uh, you know, you, might, you may remember this if you're a long-time Hawks fan. Teague always seemed to roll his ankle and then be fine afterwards, so we'll see what happens there on, on Jeff's ankle, but I thought he was quite good. In this game, and then Deadman was fantastic. 14 points, nine rebounds, two block shots in 28 minutes. He was five nine from the floor, two of four from three. Made both made both of his free throws as well. I made this comment on Twitter, but I'll say it again now. Deadman looks like the guy he looked like in Atlanta the previous two years. Um, Sacramento, something went wrong there. I'm not really sure what happened. He was not very good, but he's shooting the ball with confidence. He's playing with confidence. He's flying around. Pierce acknowledged the fact that his his energy level has been huge for them. I think he, you know, part of that is just kind of being reinvigorated and maybe it'll subside to some degree in terms of his just overall energy. But he's out there talking trash and just doing what Deadman does and being a solid player. You know, people were asking why he didn't start this game. I think, you know, it's still a back-to-back. He hasn't practiced yet. I, I would imagine that he'll be starting in the near future if Capella is not back after the All-Star break or something like that. Or if maybe even on Wednesday you could start Deadman. He's obviously the best center available at the moment. No one's questioning that. And he's now played the crunch time in both games. So no one's under the illusion that Damian Jones is better than Dwayne Deadman. We all know. We all understand the deal here, but Devin played 28 minutes and was very good. And you know, it's nice to have him back because you know, as I said before, his his center level is just higher than what the Hawks have had this season. That's just kind of the simplest way to put it. And uh, good to see him playing well. To the starters in this spot, a little bit cooler. In fact, um, all five starters were minus 14 or worse. This is the rare game this season where the bench has been like notably better than the starters. Um, part of that's like who you're playing against, but um, worth pointing out. Kevin Herter was not was not as as good as he has been recently, but only uh, 5 of 13 from the floor, 2 of 7 from 3. Did have 7 assists, though. Good to see him making some plays. 12 points. I, I didn't think he was bad. Just not a great game for Kevin, but um, kind of just solid-ish. Uh, Damian Jones had 4 points. 2 rebounds was actually minus 23. Um, the difference between between Deadman and Jones was 45 points in this game. Plus 22 for Deadman and plus minus 23 for Jones. That's not all those guys, but yeah, that kind of tells the story to some, to some extent. DeAndre Hunter... Um, I thought did some nice things, did not play that well overall. 10 points, 3 rebounds, an assist, a steal, and a block, and minus 14 in 33 minutes. I thought he was okay, just wasn't terribly aggressive, and then defensively had a couple of uh, weird moments. Uh, Collins and Young, obviously the most productive guys in terms of the box score. Collins got a little bit over the hump. Um, he has struggled mightily against Orlando in his career. In fact, he came into the game with the second lowest scoring average against any team against the Magic. A lot of that is Isaac, who gives him fits, but... Collins got off to a slow start and then turned it on late. Finished with 22 points and eight rebounds. It was not his best work, I don't think, but he was at least solid enough. And obviously, you know, the numbers speak for themselves, but he was minus 32, which is kind of weird. Um, and then Trey Young, 
I would say ditto on that. I don't think that this, this was definitely not Trey's best game by any means. He was 7 of 19 from the floor, 3 of 11 from 3. Um, got off to a slow start. Did get it going at certain points in the second half, but still had 29 and 9 because he got to the free throw line 13 times. This is the second game in a row where he's just been able to get to the line whenever he wanted to. And uh, that is definitely a nice trait to have. But, you know, goes without saying that 29 and 9 is very solid. It just wasn't his best work, but it also wasn't like a disaster either. And they got enough from those guys to win. Again, it was all about defense in this game. The Hawks did more than enough offensively to win this contest, and they just couldn't get the stops when they actually had to have them in the second half. Okay, um, that is plenty on this game, I believe, as well as the uh, entire podcast here. I do want to look ahead just a second um, to the last game of the pre-All-Star break run. The Hawks are in Cleveland on Wednesday. That is a battle of two of the five, you know, bottom five teams in the league in terms of the record at this point in time. And there'll be some interesting machinations there, I'm sure, because Cleveland's sort of sort of in flux. I think the Hawks are actually better than the Cavs at this moment if they are full, if they are anywhere close to full strength. But it's still a road game, and we'll see how that game um, works out. And in fact, we'll have I'm, I'm planning to have a podcast. Hopefully, if the guest does not fall through on Tuesday evening in advance of that game. But if nothing else, we'll come back with uh, one more post um, post game podcast on that, on that one. I am going to take the weekend off, barring something crazy. I have to travel, and because there's nothing really going on in Hawks world um, post deadline, and you know the trade the All Star break is going to be happening. All Star weekend, of course, Trey Young will be participating, but um, nothing that's like groundbreaking in terms of Hawks stuff. So uh, there you go, just a little bit of pre planning there. I'm planning to have the weekend off from the podcast. A, r- a rare time that I would do that, but there'll be absolutely nothing happening in terms of the actual team itself, though. There you go. Um, Subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend or two or three or four about the show. Pick a podcast platform or two if you want to subscribe and download and leave five-star feedback and all that stuff. I really, really appreciate that. But um, there you go. We'll see everybody at the very latest on Wednesday evening, and enjoy the rest of your day.